This morning's readings are from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 to 8 and then we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 to 9. So starting with Ephesians 5 1 to 8. Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now moving on to Ephesians chapter 6, reading verses 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you, for whatever, they, whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Amen. Well, good morning, Staines Congregational Church. My name, as I'm sure you've already been informed, is John Manger, and I'm one of the elders over at the church in Ashford. And this morning we have in front of us this interesting section in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, all revolving around workers and the management, masters and slaves. Be useful, therefore, if you kept that piece open. We're going to look at it in a reasonable amount of detail. And it's also useful if you kept uh, chapter five, just the beginning of it, which we also had read, I think, earlier on. I wonder how that reading struck you. Did it seem anachronistic? Did it seem unpalatable? Did it seem politically incorrect? You just can't say that kind of thing these days. Does it evoke, perhaps in your mind, Victorian factories, uh, male domination, the suppression of freedom, uh, the elimination of workers' rights, just do as you are bidden? Does it perhaps invoke an opposite response? One of, well, this is standard advice down the running centuries, perhaps for thousands of years. If you want to get along, go along. If you want to get on in your job, whether you're a slave or whether you're the worker in the, in the largest production line in the world, do as you're bidden and you'll go far. You might get a rise, you might get promotion. And if you're the management, if you can get your workers to do as you ask, your business will do well. Well, that may or may not be good advice, and probably many of us take a long time to learn that it's always a good idea to try and please the management at least some of the time. Is that all this passage is about? Well, let me suggest to you, and then hopefully demonstrate to you this morning, that this passage is actually rather liberating. And not only that, it's potentially subversive. It's countercultural. It goes against the grain of contemporary society, Western society in particular. That's why we started back there in chapter 5. 
Did you notice the connection, perhaps? Christians are to live as imitators of God. No, we don't try to run the universe. We've all had a go at that. No, imitators of God's character, imitators of his son. We're to live as children of light. If you like, all that this little section is asking us to do is live as Christ's followers should live. But more than that, to live even as he lived. For he is not only our saviour and our lord and our elder brother and our high priest and our king, he's also our role model, our example. Hence, be imitators of him. Where are we going? Well, um, it's quite possible at this point that someone will put up a slide, uh, in which case you'll see that we are going to attack this passage uh, in four very brief sections, I promise you. I hope. The first section, we're going to ask, who do we actually obey? Might seem an obvious question, but it's worth asking. Then, well, of course, we'll look at uh, the obedience that the worker is to give. Then we'll look at the obedience that the master is to give. And then we'll ask, well, what about everybody else who's neither one nor the other? Well, that's where we're going to try and go over the next few minutes. Let's start with the first idea. Who do we obey? Well, that's a broad question, isn't it? Who do we obey? But in this passage, who do we obey? If you look into verses 6 and 7, sorry, 6 uh, and 9, you'll notice that Paul starts to compare it to obeying or serving Christ. He uses the as if you were or like. There's a comparison. The comparison is as if you were serving Christ in verse 7, or like servants of Christ doing the will of God, that's verse 6, or just as you would obey Christ, that's verse 5. So there's a comparison there. He's asking us to obey others who are in charge as we would Christ. You see, the Christian always has a master. We all have a master. Whether we like it or not, whether we remember it or not, we all have a master and ours is in heaven, as he points out. Hence, what we do as we imitate, as we live as children of light, as we live as those who are wise, all of which have bobbed up earlier on in this letter, we are obeying him. Well, OK, so we're obeying Christ. Well, that's what Christians do, isn't it? OK, well, what's it like to obey Christ? What is it like to not only follow him and to trust in him and to speak with him in prayer and so on and read about him and listen to what he says in his word? What is it like to obey him? What's his rule like? You know, what kind of a manager is he? I, uh, I asked that question a few months back of um, one of the study groups that we've got over in Ashford. It's a it's a senior citizens study group. So they've had a longer time on the track, as it were, out there running the race to answer the question. Well, what's it like, I asked them, to serve Jesus? What's it like to obey him, to be one of his servants, followers, children? And there's a bit of giggling. Older people do giggle. And some sheepish smiles. And they basically said, well, you know, it's it's all right being ruled, being managed, following this Lord. And I guess as they kind of said that, what they were thinking of, and I hope I'm not putting thoughts into their heads that weren't there, 
is that phrase of Jesus when he talks about what it's like to be under his lordship, to be obedient to him. You might remember the phrase or the wording in uh, Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, like, my, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm pretty sure what Jesus is talking about there is what it is to live under his rule. He says his burden is light. His yoke is easy. Why might that be the case? Well, there could be many reasons that we could suggest. But let me suggest to you it's because his lordship, his rule, his management, if you like, has purpose and focus. His lordship is not random, it's not capricious, it doesn't change with the passing of years. It's neither mysterious, it's not obscure. In fact, he's made it known to us. He know, He's told us why he runs the universe, or how he runs the universe, what the point and purpose of it all is. His objective is that we should be conformed to the image of his son, as in Romans 8. So far in our lives, he's been working to that end already if we're a Christian, if we're following him. He's already brought us from death to life. Well, that's a big step. From darkness into light. Now we know who he is and who we are at last. We're no longer objects of wrath under God's just displeasure, but now we're members of his household. Now, as we've seen, as I hope you've seen in Ephesians or you'll remember, he now dwells in our hearts by faith. And we are being filled to all the measure of the fullness of God, which means being conformed into his image. What he is doing, his management has one goal, to make us like Christ. So therefore, our submission to him, at one level, is in our own best interests, for which Christian ultimately does not want to be like his saviour in character. So that's his rule. That's the one we're obeying. And his, uh, our obedience to him and his rule over us takes us in one direction and one direction only, to become like Christ. OK. So if that's what it's like, what specifically does he ask of us as those who are under authority? And we have to recognise as Christians, and it is countercultural in this world, that we are under authority. Authority structures exist throughout the created order. And it's a mark of mankind's rebellion that we seek to throw them off, to be fully independent, autonomous, the masters of our own destiny, captains of our own fates and all the rest of it. But Jesus points out <laughs> that he has a yoke to put on us, that his lordship is a present reality. Autonomy is not an option. We are creatures. And that applies to the realm of work in the broadest sense. There will be structures. Somebody or some ones will be in charge and others will not be in charge. At least not at that level. They may be in charge of something further down. So notice the things Paul advances. And we're in the first of the two sections we're going to look at. The things Paul advances that we should do. First of all, we have to work. We are encouraged to work under someone else's direction, with sincerity of heart, or from the heart, or wholeheartedly, those are the words in verses 5, 6 and 7, doing it as you would Christ, or as someone's put it, with conscientious care and singleness of purpose. 
so Christ asks of us no different service or delivery to those in charge over us as we would probably want to say we'd like to offer to him anyway. Do we want to follow Christ? Yes, we want to follow him with sincerity of heart, from the heart, wholeheartedly, and he asks us to serve others in a similar fashion. But notice it's also qualified by a negative. It's not to be done <laughs> with a view to producing an illusion of obedience. Now, in verse 6, Paul actually invents a word. The New Testament writers often struggle, sometimes perhaps, to find adequate expression. So Paul invents a word that doesn't exist until he coins it. And it's the word eye-pleaser. If you're in some of the older translations, it'll have. Not as eye-pleasers or man-pleasers. And this compound word of eye-pleasing is one that Paul invents in order to get over the idea that we're not to try and do something so that it looks like we're doing something to keep people happy. It's the classic, look busy, here comes the boss. Make it look good, quick, make it look bigger, make it look longer, make it look harder. Do something to make it look like we're busy. And if you've been in an office environment, and that's really the only one that I'm familiar with uh, for most of my working life, uh, you know, it's quick. Uh, make the email longer, make the spreadsheet bigger, make the presentation last longer, say some more, put some more slides in, waffle. Um, make it look like we've done something. And of course, if you've been in the work environment, as many of you will have been, it's not too difficult to fool them quite often that you're doing something. But we can't fool God. We can't fool our Saviour. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. He is the one who sees us as an open book. He sees us in our entirety. At one level, that's comforting. We know that his love for us isn't reliant on what he sees. On the other hand, that should be quite worrying because he does see. So we're to serve with sincerity of heart and not with an objective to look like we're doing something when we're doing absolutely nothing. In other words, we mustn't make the mistake that the Pharisees and Jesus' contemporaries made of creating the illusion of doing something when the reality was far from it. Whitewash. Okay, but then there's one final thing that he says. With respect and fear or fear and reverence. I think that's uh, verse 8, although I, I can't see the verse in my, in my notes and I can't see it quickly as I look down at my Bible. But with respect, with fear or reverence. Now at one level, that's clearly we're respecting Christ who's invited us and instructed us, commanded us, asked of us that we serve others, that we obey those in charge of us. But I think also it's meant with respect and reverence of the person that we are serving. In most offices and organisations that uh, I've worked in, eventually some of the management acquires a nickname. Sometimes their nicknames are a kind of mark of respect because they're really quite good and really quite sharp. But often it's a mark of disrespect. And we are called, of course, to to respect those in authority just as we respect the supreme authority of our heavenly father 
over us. But we're to respect authority. We're not to play that game of sneering and dismissing. I remember I was picking some guys up, some American guys up from the airport uh, a few years back. It was just at the point when um, President Trump had just been elected. And uh, we all got in the van and I was about to drive off and they said, hey, John, what do you think of President Trump? And off we went discussing the then new result of the presidential election four years ago. And the conversation went backwards and forth until one of the guys in the back said, hang on. It was all Christian guys in the van. said, hang on. We shouldn't be talking about the president like that. We should refer to him as the president or as President Trump. We are called to respect the office and to pray for them. And so thereafter, uh, we toned down and the guy gave us a, a correct reminder, respect. We respect the office holder, whether he or she is always worthy of that respect because God asks us to do it. So the three things for the worker. What about the person who happens to be in charge? And of course you could say, well, I'm not in charge. I've never been in the management. But if you're a parent, you're in charge. If you're an older brother or sister, you're probably in charge sometimes of those that are younger. Maybe you're a cousin or an uncle or an aunt. You're in charge. Grandparents. Well, yeah, you get it. These days we're in charge. Seems like quite a lot. <laughs> we're in charge. You're looking after others. You are, you are Lord and master over others and you will ask them to do things. If it's something really trivial, like please go back and wash your hands through to something much grander. Can you come and help me with the shopping? It'll take a couple of hours. You are the master too. And the point that Paul makes in the second section is, of course, that you too have a master. You have a master who's watching you just as much as he is concerned about the workers. And remember, this is in the Christian context. Probably most of the time Paul's thinking here, not exclusively, of the relationship between Christian masters and Christian workers. So the person that you're asking to do something is not simply a number or an operative Although they might be that, they probably are on the payroll system, but they're also a brother or sister in Christ. So how you treat them is of great interest to your saviour. So you keep an eye on the fact that you behave towards them as Christ behaves towards us. Your burden too is light, your yoke is easy and your direction is focused. What is it you'd like them to do? And it leaves no room too. did you notice, Paul says, no room for bullying, for that's clearly what he's referring to now. Threatening them, making demands that can't be met, emotional or even real blackmail. The Christian church has had its fair share, indeed organisations have had, but the Christian church has had its fair share of those who've tried to bully their subordinates into doing stuff or not doing stuff, saying things, not saying things. You only have to cast your mind back a few years, perhaps to 2015 and the, the debacle at Mars Hill over in the States where that multi-campus place collapsed once it was finally recognised and admitted that the guy in charge was a most appalling bully. The church didn't fold completely, but all sorts of things faded away and stopped. Who knows what damage was done because someone couldn't manage others with that yoke which is light and gentle like Christ 
and perhaps focused as well. So that's fair enough. So at least, I don't know, perhaps a third of you are saying, well, hey, I'm not, I'm not in employment anywhere, particularly these days, and I'm certainly not in charge of anybody. I'm mostly on my own, or there's just the two of us at home, you know, where there's a kind of partnership, and well, there's nobody in charge, really. What if you're the solo operator? And of course, the reality is, most of us are solo operators for a large part of the day. Well, you too have a master. We all have the same master, whether we are an employer or employed, whether it's a formal relationship or just an arrangement between mates while they do something. You too have a master. And you're playing master and worker to yourself. So the question is, well, what do I do? How does that work? Well, you too should be doing whatever it is you're doing to serve him. We've read earlier on, earlier on in the letter, that we're to redeem the time, that we're to make the most of the opportunities, for the days are evil. So if you're the solo operator, your quality of work should be similar to that of an employer and the, his employee, the management and the employee. But more than that, you should be redeeming the time. Indeed, we should all be endeavouring to redeem the time. So think of the thing, pick up the, the idea that Paul mentions back in Colossians chapter 3, the parallel to this letter. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Are you doing it to his glory? Now, that's very, very tricky to work out sometimes. So here's, here's perhaps an easier way of working it out. It's called the blessability test. Have you come across the blessability test? Maybe not. <laughs> well, we have now. I didn't invent this. I came across this some years ago. So the blessability test is this. Let me tell you a story and then you'll get the idea. Many, many years ago, uh, there's the gentleman, Shaftesbury. Sorry, not Shaftesbury. Um, Wilberforce, rather. I always get the two mixed up. William Wilberforce, instrumental in seeing the end of slavery in the United Kingdom. And it's uh, back at the start of the, this is, this is back at the start of the 19th century. Wilberforce operated at quite high levels in society. He was a member of parliament. In those days, that was a fairly senior position, perhaps unlike today. Um, and he was mixing with the top level. And in those days, to pass the time in the evening, and there's no TV, there's no tablets, there's no phone, there's no, you know, what are we going to do? They used to play cards. And he was quite a good card player, quite a keen card player. And the story goes that one day he sat down with some fairly senior people one evening after dinner, and they were going to play cards. And he said, would you mind before we start if we if we, if we pray. Well, somebody on the other side of the card table said, why do we want to pray? And he said, if I can't pray, I can't play. In other words, what he was ex exhibiting was, if I can't ask God to bless this, in other words, I'm obviously not doing it for his glory because I can't ask him to help me or bless me or be with me as I do it. I can't do it. It's the blessability test. Is what you're doing Will your conscience let you say, Father, help me as I do this. Be with me as I do this. I'm doing this. May it go well. May it help others or whatever it is. Because if you can't say that, hmm, probably don't want to do it. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, the blessability test. So our time is up. I've run slightly over my 20 minutes. I do apologise. 
let me take you just to one place before we sing our closing song or we'll go to our closing song you can get a lot from the world around you management gurus coaches mentors all sorts of things that will tell you how to be a good employee to be a great manager how to run a business how to do all sorts of things that interact with people and i'm sure much of it's useful but whilst they might have some tips and tricks that might help you a little, we are endeavouring to become imitators, becoming like Christ. We don't imitate him in order to win his favour. We don't imitate him to attempt to be second messiahs. We imitate him because he illustrates what the godly character looks like. He shows us what the character that's to be formed in us should be. And he presents us with the supreme example. He who had every reason to be served, to be the management, washed his disciples' feet and came and laid down his life for each one of his people. He who should have had legions of angels caring for him came and cared for us. He took no notice of his status. Indeed, that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. He didn't cling on to those things, but set them to one side out of love for us. At one level, our response then to this morning's message is out of love for him. But it's also in imitation of him, for in observing him and asking him by his spirit to enable us to be like him. We do obey him, but we also please him. So let's pray as we finish, shall we? Father, we thank you this morning uh, that your management, your rule of us over us is delightful. We thank you for the love and care and compassion and mercy and kindness you shower upon your children and indeed on this world every minute that passes. We thank you, Father, for the way you manage our lives, combining miraculously and beautifully your glory and our good, as you tell us. And our goal ultimately will be when you have finished making us like your son. Father, on our better moments, we long for that. Sometimes on our really bad moments, we long for it too. But Father, you would complete that work in us. Would you hasten that in us then, Father? And as we operate, as those in charge, as those being asked to do things, may we be the aroma and the imitation and the shadow and the echo of your son. And we pray that in his name. Amen. So, thank you. I hope that was useful. Remember, we all have a master in heaven if we're following Christ. <laughs>